Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we are talking with the wonderful Erica Southgate. Erica's Associate Professor of Emerging Technologies for Education in the School of Education at the University of Newcastle in Australia. She's an excellent author of a book that I personally have read called Virtual Reality in Curriculum and Pedagogy for Secondary Classrooms. So in her book, she shares lots of great stories, narratives, and findings about her participatory research related to immersive virtual reality at a secondary school. But more importantly than that, she keeps this very robust website. It's vrschoolresearch.com, where she blogs about her research and connects with teachers in real time to help them as they navigate this fairly nuanced new medium. So Erica's here today to help us unpack some important findings. Welcome to the show, Erica. Oh, g'day, Craig from Australia. Um, thank you for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. Uh, and what a great um, podcast you have. I have to commend you on that. Well, wonderful to have you on. I always, of course, start with an origin story because it is so interesting to see what got someone motivated to dive into VR and more importantly, immersive learning. So how did you get started or interested in this medium? Uh, well, that would have been uh, for about uh, 10 to 12 years I've been working around uh, technology-enhanced learning. Uh, in particular, I've developed um, uh, video games for literacy improvement. I'm very interested in using uh, media, digital media, for very, to tackle very kind of complex issues, I suppose, around teaching and learning. Uh, and... As part of that, I worked with uh, software engineers and the first time they put me in a Oculus Rift headset when it came out, it just kind of blew my mind, Craig. <laughs> Never before had I experienced being transported so totally and immersively and wonderfully uh, into you know, a totally new environment. Uh, so as soon as I put that headset on, I thought, wow, this, you know, will hold great promise for the future of education. And from there on, uh, I've started um, basically straight away in 2016 doing research with teachers in schools uh, as the technologies uh, evolved, uh, using different types of technology to do that, virtual reality technology, and to try to understand the curriculum and the kind of pedagogical implications of the technology because fundamentally I'm an educator, I'm a teacher educator, and I'm interested in how, to, how teaching and learning um, can be enhanced uh, with this technology. And such an important question. It's funny, the response you gave is so typical of so many people I talk to or you know when I do it for schools, everyone just says they're blown away and, and just so surprised at how real and immersive it is. So such a, a great response to hear and it's echoed by so many other people. 
Look, absolutely. You know, what I think about this technology is that there is no other technology that can transport you somewhere else. There is no tech, other technology which can make that feel embodied um, and create kind of embodied learning um, than VR. So I'm really kind of interested in that notion of um, particularly being in virtual reality spaces with others and producing virtual reality spaces for others, which can really um, create not just engaging uh, learning experiences, but really powerful learning experiences, learning experiences that uh, link to uh, our insights from learning science and pedagogical theory. Mm. Despite the power and the embodiment, I still often hear pushbacks from many schools and educators. And one of the things that they say is, I, I just don't have time to use VR in the classroom. I need to get through my curriculum. I need to cover my curriculum. How do you, how do you deal with that sort of mentality or how do you answer this? Because it is a real deal. Like teachers in Australia and around the world feel like the curriculum's overcrowded and they have to get through their curriculum. Yeah, and I work with teachers. So my I'm a researcher. Uh, my research is based on what we call participatory research, with which is research with teachers and not on teachers. So and thinking about how to weave or integrate uh, new technologies into schools in ways which don't act, uh, actually add extra pressure <laughs> to teachers uh, and to research that in ways which complement teaching practice instead of kind of adding extra layers. So I hear this too and the teachers I work with are, you know, are overworked and um, suffering under crowded curriculum and have many, many um, different, you know, push and pulls on their time, I have to say, within uh, education systems across the world. That's not just in Australia. But what what I think is interesting is that we're in a really early stage of integrating virtual reality into classrooms and we need to think about that. Commercially, it's only been available really since 2014. So Google Cardboard comes out and suddenly we've got this technology we wonder what to do with it. So I don't think we should beat ourselves up about the fact that we don't always know how to use or integrate it into classroom well, uh, classrooms well. Uh, but really, this is a very early kind of journey for all of us to be on. And as I say um, to teachers where, um, you know, and, I, and John Richter says this too from uh, iLearn, the Immersive Learning Research Network, um, you know, we're building this plane as we fly it. So it isn't always an easy gig to think about the integration of VR in schools. Uh, that said, I would say that we, um, and this is how we use virtual reality with the VR school study, is that it's not um, using VR on top of uh, what you're already doing, but in place of. So it's switching out um, some ways of um, usual teaching practice uh, to integrate VR into that. Um, now, that's not to say it's always easy. Uh, but it's always interesting and invariably the students love it. So it is worth trying this. Uh, and I can give you, um, when we talk further, a few, uh, a few kind of case studies. Um, I know that technologists like to call those use cases, but a few case studies from education <laughs> which kind of illustrate this um, integration or weaving of the technology through the curriculum. That said, the curriculum is the starting point. 
So it's about thinking about the curriculum we have. Uh, in Australia, for instance, we have a national curriculum and a states-based interpretation of that curriculum with syllabus documents. Uh, and it really is about thinking where would VR be complementary uh, in that curriculum and where might I swap out uh, particular activities I'm already doing to um, substitute VR into that and then to think about using VR in really creative ways with students. So using VR, I'm particularly interested in using um, uh, uh, sandbox applications, so applications that allow students to create virtual environments, virtual worlds, virtual tours without, without having to code. Um, and being able to share those creations so that they can uh, demonstrate their content mastery, uh, their ability to collaborate, to communicate, their, uh, to develop metacognitive skills. So really about thinking about that uh, type of media, new media, VR is new media, and swapping it out where we might use old media <laughs> uh, and to experiment with that. And I'll talk about some specific examples soon. Wonderful. And some schools are actually experimenting with full courses in VR. And, and that led me to be curious and to inquire about the notion, you know, could, a, could an entire course be uh, used or taught with all the various levels of curriculum outcomes and objectives with a tool VR, in your opinion, or is there just some magic spots within curriculum of courses where VR does its best work? So part of my working with teachers has been to develop pedagogical uh, typologies or frameworks for understanding uh, virtual reality for education. And so we can think about virtual reality, for instance, as a total learning environment. So it might be uh, that you have a virtual lab uh, and that virtual lab allows you to uh, conduct all sorts of experiments um, that you couldn't do in a usual school lab. And for instance, that would be an interesting kind of swap out between um, real lab work and virtual lab work or a you know, good complementary, a good complement to that. Um, other ways we might think about that is as a kind of a stimulus experience. So it's something that we give, you know, just as a stimulus for, for a lesson, a starter for a lesson or something to enhance a particular concept. So you have a virtual experience to do that. Uh, we might like to think about uh, as a, what I'm interested in, VR is a new form of media. So really a kind of notions of, you know, how students can tell different types of narratives uh, mm. and those narratives are learning narratives to demonstrate their uh, learning mastery. Uh, and then, you know, we can also think about it as a kind of a tool. So often um, you could learn quite a lot through, and this is uh, historically what VR has been very good for, uh, through simulation. So procedural learning through simulation. So, you know, you could learn, in fact, you know, whole procedures through simulated um, VR applications. So VR, I always say VR tech technologically isn't one thing and pedagogically it's certainly not one thing. And getting our heads around that uh, is difficult and it's really difficult for teachers to get their heads around it because it means actually... Um, using the technology, exploring it, and then plugging it into kind of the pedagogical, uh, their pedagogical knowledge and their pedagogical content knowledge um, so that, uh, that they, can, they can select the type of applications they'd like to use to enhance learning. So, yes, it could be, you know, a series of lessons in a unit of work uh, or it could be, um, it could be, you know, a stimulus experience or it could be, you know, a really important 
uh, assessment tool, for instance. So you, you know, you're creating a virtual world instead of a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> so there's different ways to use it. I, personally, I think I wouldn't like to be in a headset for more than for, for learning purposes anyway, for more than half an hour or so, mm. uh, particularly the school, you've got to think about how that works. A lot of students um, love VR. Some students still get cyber sick and some students don't like um, feelings of immersion and that's just a fact. They're not the majority of students, but we always have to think in classrooms about having alternatives for those students. So often screen-based applications or screen-based, you know, virtual applications, uh, which or virtual applications which operate in screen mode as well as immersive mode, uh, with a headset, are ideal for that. So we have to think about the feasibility of this, Craig. Uh, and and do I think we should be having, you know, whole lessons in VR? Maybe it would depend on the learning outcome and the application. But for children and young people. Uh, I would have to really consider that because I think um, I wouldn't want a headset to wear a headset for more than, you know, 20 minutes to half an hour in a classroom per lesson. Mm. You know, there are different levels of immersive VR experiences and they sort of run a continuum. And in your book, you tackle this a bit, which, you know, I thought was quite gritty of you. And that's the issue. So there are some people out there that say that, 360 video and 360 photos cannot provide powerful learning experiences. And, and those people say that, the, you know, the best VR experiences are ones where you're fully immersed, you're in a 3D spatial environment, you know, it's, it's six degrees of freedom, you're using the controllers to grab and pick up things. Yet, you know, tell us more about why you make a case for you know, the efficacy of a 360 video or a 360 photo, photo as a quality learning experience in VR? Yeah, so I'm doing a lot of work using 360 content creators, uh, content creation platform at the moment. It's called Verti. What I think is really interesting is if you think about VR as a new type of media, who's going to get access, Craig, to be able to, be, to create that type of media, even at a kind of entry level? Uh, particularly if you can't code. So, you know, if you can code, if you've got classes of students that can code, then you can go and use game engines to create, you know, six degree of freedom or kind of fully immersive interactive experiences. Uh, however, we know, um, we know nationally and internationally that those classes, um, uh, computer science classes in high schools or design and technology classrooms in high schools are mainly for boys. They're full of boys with very few girls in them. We also know that there's a lot of uh, kind of lost talent, a lot of uh, children, students who would love to be able to create virtual worlds to demonstrate their learning and also to share with others. So one of the best things about um, creating virtual tours or worlds is that um, you can share those with others. Uh, platforms allow you to share those with others um, on screen or in a headset so you have both kind of options. And 360 is really good for this. So, you know, I'm using uh, at the moment this platform, Verdi. It's a drag and drop um, 360 tour or content creator. Uh, and what's what we're saying to the students is we're um, instead of creating a – PowerPoint presentation on, for instance, um, biomes. This is a real-world example that's happening right now. So we all learn about biomes as part of geography and biology. 
in the Australian curriculum. Um, and we and usually you would do that through some pretty dry, um, <laughs> you know, chalk and talk uh, and some, you know, some videos that you might show and some websites. You might ask the uh, students to create a presentation with the PowerPoint. Let's actually uh, look at local biomes. Let's go and create or capture with the 360 camera what those biomes are like. So capture the spatial essence of those biomes. Let's collect data, local data about the biomes. Let's research that. Let's find out what local policies there are on preservation or conservation or agricultural policies related to those biomes. And then as students working groups to um, use that all those informations, the, the 360 photos, all the kind of content you've uh, researched. So you might have written text, you might have photos, you might have videos, you might have interviews, you might have some data. Let's use that to tell the story of the biome, your local biome. And then uh, you can put a headset, so you can look at that biome on a screen, or you can actually put a headset on and be in that biome. Now, it's not a, a – and when you're in that biome, you can interact with markers. So, you know, there's you can there's gaze-based interaction. You can look at pop-ups uh, and some information will pop up about the biome, maybe a video, maybe an animation or gift which is talking to you about the biome. And so you're integrating in fun ways uh, all information about the biome, everything you've researched and learnt, but you're creating it as a learning tool for other people and you're sharing that in that way. And the type of learning that goes on with that kind of 360 content creation isn't about coding, <laughs> okay? It's about um, really thinking about what content do I need to develop, what kind of research do I need to undertake, um, you know, I, I do need to learn how to use this kind of platform to create a narrative, an interesting narrative, to join scenes up, to tell the story of the biome. I do need to sort of um, learn how to use 360 camera, which is pretty simple, actually. I do need to be able to think about who my learner will be and how I'm going to communicate with them. So I need high quality, uh, diff multimodal means of communication within that virtual world. Uh, and I really do need to think about the user experience. Okay, so what interactions will there be? Will I gamify the environment? Um, how will I make it interactive, fun? Will there be Easter eggs that I'll find that I'll get excited about? How will I explore? And all that is with um, 360 Content Creator. <laughs> and what you have then is a very democratic, accessible way to create for all students, uh, no matter if they're interested in technology, whether they can code or not, uh, to uh, really spark their creativity, but also all those different other types of learning uh, that go with that to kind of create this incredible product. And the best thing is, you know, a topic like biomes lends itself to VR because it's spatial and it's temporal. So not everything's going to lend itself to VR or uh, VR content creation, but, um, yeah, but something like a, uh, learning about biomes would. So if people think... Um, if people think the only way you could learn is through um, kind of consuming, even in an interactive way, a virtual application that's been pre-made for you, then they misunderstand uh, what uh, teaching and learning is about and they misunderstand the empowerment of students uh, to create um, in, this, uh, in, this, uh, in this age. All students, just about all students are content creators <laughs> if we could harness that kind of incredible passion 
and creativity and energy they have for content creation in their leisure time and put it into schools and to use things like a 360 con content creator to do it, then, um, then we should be doing it, I would say, uh, rather than having a kind of petty conversations about, you know, petty and purist conversations about what the real VR is. Mm. <laughs> what and real VR is. I just find that a waste of time pedagogically, I have to say. And, and not only that, Erica, you know, we if we jump back to one of my first questions, which is, you know, the teacher that panics that all this amazing, you know, variety of different learning modalities that we're allowing the kids to pull in to do this content creation is taking too much time out of their very stuff curriculum, then of course, we're never going to convince them. But, you know, the teacher that sort of says this is all worthwhile, and I trust that when they go through this process, that they're going to learn just as much as if I didactically taught them or sort of stuffed information down them. Because how do you become an expert? Well, to truly become an expert at something, you need to see it from so many different perspectives and so many different levels. And what you're preaching about is one amazing way for kids to become an expert on a topic like that. Well, yeah, I mean, in order in order to teach somebody about something, you need to know it very, very well. <laughs> and you need to consider uh, how to engage those um, the learner or the person who's, you know, experiencing the teaching. And you need to think about, you know, not only facts, um, you know, what they need to know, but how you can enhance understanding, um, how you can provide examples or applications of that, uh, and how we can, you know, think about, um, you know, is there any kind of evidence around um, that we might be able to use to evaluate uh, that kind of learning? And also, you know, you've got to create. You're creating something brand new, something that's never been created before. And if we look at those levels, that's actually going um, up from lower order thinking in Bloom's taxonomy right up to the highest order of thinking in Bloom's taxonomy or through using uh, 360 uh, content creator. Now that said, the curriculum has to be really carefully planned uh, and we have to scaffold students towards that in particular ways. Uh, but the teacher doesn't need to be the technical expert because the teacher and the students will learn together uh, and often the, teach, uh, the students will lead the teacher through the technical aspects of the learning. And also uh, students will teach each other about the platforms they're using and the possibilities for that platform. So teachers really have to concentrate on thinking about creatively about their curriculum, building their curriculum to integrate the technology where it might fit well um, and where it might not either. Like, so you really have to think carefully about that. Uh, but also um, you, you have to pay less attention uh, to really thinking about mastering a platform. So I often get, you know, when people think about these 360 content creators, they, teachers often think, oh, I'll produce the learning resource for the um, student. Like you would produce, for instance, or locate learning resources for your students um, when you're um, preparing a lesson. But of course, we need to flip that on its head, Craig. It should be students producing the learning resources, not only for their teacher and for their peers, but for also authentic audiences outside of the classroom. Uh, and that type of authentic learning is really important. So if you're producing a virtual world or a virtual tour of a biome, the local biome, why not present it to an environmental group or to local council or to you know uh, groups or audiences um, that are interested in the environment, for instance? 
So, you know, it become and it's very easy to do with VR because you can share a, a link or a QR code and you're in the virtual world. If you've got a $20 headset uh, and a phone, you're in that virtual world. So, or if you've got a computer, you're in the virtual world on a screen. You can actually manipulate and enjoy it through screen-based mode. So pedagogically, it can be quite powerful. But, of course, it all starts with teachers thinking creatively with their curriculum and putting in effort with curriculum planning. So that's where the time's spent. And trusting the process. You you mentioned sandbox VR. I want to unpack that a bit because I, I find that to be also very much related to what we're talking about. So in your book, again, which I, I love to read, uh, you mentioned that you uh, did a participatory study. And in that study at the school that you were at in Australia, you used a sandbox VR application called Minecraft VR. And what it was used for and what you kind of researched and studied about was its ability to help kids facilitate project-based learning in science. So tell us about what was the goal for the students in this particular example, and then what did you find to be one of your biggest takeaways? So we've just talked about Three Degree of Freedom VR, quite accessible VR with 360 content creators. This was using um, Oculus Rift when it came out. So it was in 2016, 17, 18 that the project took place before standalone headsets. But it was high-end VR, Six Degree of Freedom VR. And we decided to use a an existing... Um, an existing application, uh, Minecraft VR, was in uh, beta ver- beta version at the time uh, because um, children were familiar with Minecraft both through through leisure but also through Minecraft EDU. So it was being used for all educational purposes as well. So they were familiar with it. Um, and because it was a networked application, so they could actually go into virtual environments together to um, undertake work in the virtual environment. Uh, so uh, we only had could afford three headsets per school. We had two schools and we had we couldn't find anywhere really to set it up, so we had to do some timetabling uh, and find a quite a small storeroom at one school to set up three, um, three headsets with the trackers. And as you know, you need a little bit of room to be able to use this type of VR because you're um, using your whole body to use it. So you're moving around. You're grabbing things with your arms. You know, it's a, it needs a little bit of room, which uh, kind of industrial age schools aren't built for. Um, mm. So it was a bit to set up, actually, and it would still be in most schools a bit difficult to set up. Uh, the task was uh, for science. It was a um, junior school science task, and it was to build a model of um, a human uh, body organ in Minecraft. Uh, with your group. So you had three people in a group, three students in a group. They were 14, 15-year-old, year nines. Uh, this was in a low-income school community. Uh, so they had um, there were some uh, students who were really enthusiastic about science and some that certainly were not. Um, and we they had to design much of the body organ on screen, but they, then they imported it um, into uh, Minecraft VR. So, uh, and they got to work with it in the virtual environment to build and to modify and to experience it. And the idea was that they would uh, research the body organ, uh, they would build it or in, in Minecraft VR, then they would take somebody on a tour of it and explain to them uh, the different parts of the body organ and its function uh, and the function of those 
know, the function of the body organ and the function of the different parts. And we got some incredible um, imaginative um, virtual creations. So I'll never forget the first time that the students were um, put the headsets on and were in Minecraft together um, and they were just squealing with delight, actually. So, you know, playing Minecraft with your friends on a screen is very different to being in uh, Minecraft in the actual world <laughs> where you can fly and you can dig and you feel like you're actually there. Uh, and they built um, in this uh, environment some incredible um, incredible models. So we had one human, uh, three boys built a brain which was on, this on a spinal cord which was probably about oh, 15 storeys high. Uh, in Minecraft VR, and you would fly up the spinal cord, which had um, a fully functioning um, uh, spinal fluid going through it and switches where you could switch the neurons of the brain on. And when you went up to, into the brain, it was divided into two halves. The first half showed the outside of the brain, which had been built. And there was a viewing platform. The second half, when you went around, you could actually look at and go inside of the brain and watch the neurons func uh, function. And those boys took um, took us on a tour, the teacher and I, in, in virtuality. We put the headsets on, took us for a tour um, through up and into the brain and explained from memory what the brain does and uh, all the uh, kind of different components or aspects of the brain. And this was from memory. Um, and so it was, and these were boys that um, one boy had never spoken in science before. So it was this incredible revelation to us that by allowing students some agency, I mean, they had to actually learn everything about biology they had to learn. It was no different from any other biology class, but they had to demonstrate mastery of that knowledge um, with agency within this environment. And the other really interesting thing was that most of the time, 60 to 70% of the time, uh, they're on task in, virtual, in the virtual world. Mm. So uh, we often think about, um, you know, when they're in a virtual world, the, the teacher can't um, look to see what they're doing really. I mean, you could come into the room and look at the screen and see if they're on task, I suppose. But when we audio, uh, video recorded their um, in-world uh, activity, we found that, you know, 60 to 70% and for some groups, 90% of the time they're on task, which is, you know, a pretty good indicator that they were they had um, the actual task, the virtual world wasn't too distracting and that they were developing kind of metacognitive skills around self-regulated learning. So we, uh, we looked at coding that data for metacognitive uh, behaviour uh, and we found that um, within the virtual world there were high levels of collaboration um, So uh, and there were also high levels of... Um, self-directed learning so students are regulating their own learning to get on with the task and much of the not much some of the communication wasn't verbal so it was just by doing and being together in the space that they were learning uh, and getting on with the the task so it was a very interesting project um, and you know one that was quite different to the 360 content creator uh, that I'm looking at now but certainly um, I think really laid the foundations for understanding how we might use uh, the technology well for science. So if I'm a naysayer or someone who isn't yet convinced as to the amazement of this tool, I might say, well, how, 
if I could do a project like that where I'm giving them like physical manipulatives, you know, maybe it's clay and Play-Doh and paint and pipe cleaners to design something or, you know, cardboard and duct tape. What made VR better than maybe the mediums I described there? Well, it's exactly right. I wouldn't say it would make it better necessarily, okay. uh, but it's certainly, um, and it didn't when we measured. Um, so let me start. So I wouldn't, when you say better, what would make it better? One thing that was really interesting about this and uh, one of the takeaways from the book is that teachers uh, need to leverage their signature pedagogies with this technology. So it's actually not about learning new stuff, but understanding the pedagogical um, foundations of the discipline you're in. So one of the things science teachers do is use models, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So you can have a model and you can put it out the front of the class and you can even give uh, students, you know, access to the model and they can learn by pulling the model apart and asking questions or through your demonstration as a teacher. Or you can set them a task where they create a fully functioning, interactive model that anyone can um, explore um, in an incredible environment in a 3D way where you can um, actually interact with the the model in ways that you hadn't expected and learn incredible facts. Um, And you can do that in VR. So... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> one yeah. one set of students, one set of students created a eyeball, and in order to get into the eyeball, you had to tour the or you had to tour the eyeball with a roller coaster that went up the optic nerve, and then you went in the roller coaster and you uh, zoomed around inside the roller coaster with all the fun facts and commentary around that the eyeball, and then you um, yeah, then you exited, and you could also jump out and slosh around the um, op- optic fluid at the bottom, so you might understand for instance you know theoretically that there is fluid in the eyeball but when you're jumping out and sloshing around in it it really delivers uh, the kind of fact home so did they learn any more or any less using vr they certainly didn't learn any more facts using vr but they did in fact um, have higher levels of creativity and very good levels of on-task behavior uh, and and metacognitive display very good metacognitive behaviour. So this kind of, you know, is it better than this or is it better than that? Sometimes it is better. For instance, for procedural learning to to you know learn in a simulation first, then transfer that to the real world. Um, for the type of work I do, I'm interested in really kind of flipping the script, I suppose, uh, rather than the teacher demonstrating the model. Um, let the students develop the model and share it, but in an exciting and interactive way. Mm, uh, and, our, and our research, you know, illustrates that uh, they certainly won't learn any less doing that. Mm. So trust, trust the system. And it's hard to believe the book actually came out, if I'm correct, back in 2016, which is incredibly, this was six years ago. We're, you know, now we're in 2022. You know, you've learned obviously tons of things from this and other sort of ventures about VR. What, you know, what was maybe one thing you thought back in 2016, either from this research or other stuff that you were doing about VR that maybe has changed now, now that we're in 2022 about VR as a tool? So I started doing the research in 2016. The book came out in 2020. This is okay. a yeah. This is um, and there've been obviously 
uh, conference papers and journal articles come out as well, which are all available for those papers are available for free on the VR School uh, Study website, VR School Research website. Um, so, I mean, I just see it as a, we're still in in our infancy, Craig. Like, uh, if you think about the very first laptops were that were invented were about 13 kilos in weight. <laughs> so mm. they weren't very portable. I mean, I couldn't carry 13 kilos around. And then, you know, then after a while, you know, if they if they, we'd put those 13 kilo laptops in schools and we'd ask them to, you know, use think about how they might use those laptops in ways that could enhance early uh, learning in the 1990s, for instance, uh, we'd be way ahead on thinking about using laptops for learning uh, now instead of word processing <laughs> yep. or, or just, you know, consuming information. If we'd thought about putting um, cell phones or mobile phones in schools when they first came out and really considering the learning affordances of that technology rather than panicking, now, um, we, oh, sorry, at the time, if we'd really done research at the time, thinking about how we could use them well and what unique affordances they offered learning, we wouldn't be in a situation now where we'd be panicking about their um, the pre- their presence in uh, classrooms. So I feel like, you know, we're at this really early stage um, that we need to do this kind of really um, careful uh, slow, considered research with teachers to understand how to use the technology best. And we are just, you know, just doing that. Most research that gets done on um, using VR in schools is experimental or quasi-experimental research. So it's really about running in. Te- the, the researcher runs in, they give the learner an application, they get so a, pre- a pre-test on particular um might be a pre-knowledge test, uh, you know, it might be a test on um, understanding how they, um, what they know about a procedure, for instance, then giving them a application, which is a kind of intervention, and then measuring um, after that if they've learnt any, learnt something. Occasionally, you might get um, something that looks at retention a few months later. Did they retain the knowledge or did they retain the procedure? But that's much rarer. So, but nobody's investing, really investing in working with teachers over extended periods of time to find out how we can actually um, use this um, technology in ways which um, uh, are both curriculum aligned but also um, aligned to the kind of signature pedagogies of teachers, things they're already doing so that they can swap out, um, you know, old, more old-fashioned ways of um, uh, kind of uh, delivering content mastery, uh, no one's doing that work. Um, so actually being in classrooms, having teachers um, be part of the research, um, have a reflective process right through the research, collecting different types of uh, kind of data. Uh, we do pre and post tests on particular things, but we also um, look at the learning experience from the student's perspective. So how did they think about that? What advice would they offer other students? What worked and what didn't for them? Um, doing this slow kind of mixed method uh, participatory research uh, is what requ- is what required to make um, kind of a credible case for the use of virtual reality in classrooms because uh, let's face it and it's totally understandable teachers trust other teachers 
So if other teachers are producing units of work or curriculum, which demonstrates how to integrate uh, virtual reality and scaffold the technologies used in classrooms um, in ways that can produce, you know, powerful learning, and by this I mean content mastery, collaboration, um, good communication, metacognitive skills, for instance, um, then it's more likely to be um, picked up and um scaled up uh, in schooling systems but we do need to do um, research in real classrooms with real teachers uh, to understand you know both um, the good and the powerful but also um, you know when the when the technology shouldn't be used for learning when there might be a better alternative so it's about kind of having a realism about that, but also putting in the hard yards in terms of building the evidence base, but it has to be with teachers. Well, and until we well, do that, until we do that, you know, it won't be scaled up. Well said. And what, what a great way sort of to, to wind down. And that is, it's almost a charge out there for the rest of the VR community who some say, you know, you know, VR in education, while there's, you know, little content out there. And yet, you know, we've heard from you eloquently about, you know, it's about kids getting the tools in their hands to help design the content, not necessarily, you know, why isn't there some commercially made sort of company like Pearson Education designing VR content? So well said. And if educators are interested in more about your work and what you're doing, how might they get a hold of you? So if you go to vrschoolresearch.com, uh, my contact uh, details are there. You can also see profiles of all the teachers working on current projects as, too, as well. As um, We share cur curriculum insights and insights from the research as we go. Um, so I, I just like to end, Craig, by I had a conversation recently with a very uh, good VR developer, like somebody who's, you know, award-winning developer, does really wonderful work and who I respect a lot. And that person said to me, I don't know about this metaverse. I mean, who's going to develop the content for it? And, and I said, well, we are. Mm. <laughs> yep, we are. The yep. people are. Just as we're developing the content uh, we have for the internet. Uh, so it, it will be a matter of putting the tools, accessible, you know, tools, tools which preserve privacy as well and are ethical into the hands of um, children and young people and their teachers um, to build the, you know, educational content for the future. Uh, and that's, I suppose, what my research is concentrating on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would hope anyone who's interested in that would contact me so we can discuss it. Erica, amazing way to end this. Thank you so much for your perspective and not only perspective, but, you know, amazingly sort of deeper dive perspective on, on this tool, which, as you said, is a powerful medium and needs to get into the hands of teachers and more importantly, students. So thank you so much for paving that way for people. Thanks, Craig. Um, and thank you for inviting me on your wonderful podcast series. Awesome. Bye for now.